0: Hey, Holly. Hey, (laughs) that was quite a greeting. Thank you. Welcome to the What Difference does It Make podcast, Holly. Did you know we're recording now? I did. (laughs) I seem to have caught you off guard.
1: We are. I'm prepared now.
0: Okay. Very good. Thank
1: you. Thank you for giving me a little bit of leeway, a grace period.
0: Okay. You do know we have a guest today, right?
1: We have a guest.
0: Guests are fun.
1: Yes, we have. have, We've had some great guests. And this one uh, is going to be just as great as the others we've recently had.
0: This is a band, The Jenny Thing, that has actually reformed after how many years? Like uh, like 20 years.
1: They put out three albums between 1993 and 1999, and they have uh, released their fourth album.
0: 20 years later. That's yeah. crazy. They get the guys back together again, so that's fun. We're going to get into all the ins and outs of... What was then and what it is now. So
1: <laughs> what was then and what is now?
0: Both Holly and I agree that we feel like uh, if you like our podcast, this is a band that that you'd be interested in. We brought Matt Easton, the singer-songwriter, keyboardist, into our virtual studios. So let's get right into it on the What Difference Does It Make podcast. It's Matt Easton of the Jenny Thing.
2: Hey Dave, hey how Holly? are you?
0: Doing great. How are you? Very good. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Where
1: are you? Are you up in the Bay Area now?
0: Uh, yeah, I'm in Berkeley. This band formed at, at school yeah. in Berkeley. Were you on the college radio station at all? Did you do any of that stuff or was...
2: Yeah, well, you know, actually of all the college radio stations, the one at Cal, CalEx, probably played, played us a couple of times. But they're like particularly experimental and kind of contrarian. We, were, we were on lots of uh, other college radio stations and like a lot of the other UCs and UC Irvine and UCLA. And we would um, go down and play college shows Southern California and South Bay and around the Bay Area and then we'd kind of try to do the same cycle with clubs and sometimes we'd even mix them together. You know, do lunchtime concerts during the day and then club shows at night.
0: And this is when you were a student at Berkeley? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. A little bit after. So during yeah. breaks and Yeah, breaks or not breaks. I mean
2: we were really hyperactive. I look back and I go, wow I mean we we played a ton in, in those days.
1: <laughs> yes, the amount of energy you have with the college student is not uh- unparalleled (laughs) that's right yeah yeah
2: just trying to you know do it all and and sort of doing it so yeah yeah we, we we had a lot of fun and yeah college and then clubs was kind of our thing and college radio
1: you have favorite places along the way from the bay area down to i guess san diego
2: yeah i mean let's see we had a lot of fun on the campuses at like ucla uc irvine occidental santa barbara yeah, the clubs we got, to, I mean, we got to play some of the clubs that are, you know, the name clubs. We played the Roxy and the Troubadour, the Roxbury. I don't know if they still exist. That feels very 90s to me, the yeah. Roxbury.
1: It was 90s. I, it, yeah. It's still, the building is still there and it's something. I yeah. can't remember what it's called. Yeah. I remember
2: we were so excited that Shannon Doherty from 90210 had gotten in a fist fight in front of the Roxbury, you know, some <laughs> number of months before we played there. We thought that was.
0: Oh, That's so 90s. <laughs> Well, that's cool so you played and played the cafeterias in uh in many schools i guess is
2: yeah or, i mean usually lunchtime was the thing yeah like, the let like, <laughs> go play the
0: quad yeah you know we did we did play a couple
2: cafeterias and then uh, a couple like little auditorium things and yeah
0: that's a tough learning experience i mean it's you know you're you're playing your songs and then students don't know what they're they've run into like oh there's a band playing all right should I pay attention to them or you know like you got it you got it it worked pretty well though actually I mean we
2: we would sell dozens or even more cds like right on the spot usually I think maybe it was because they saw themselves in us Mm -hmm. yes
1: I imagine if we had seen you on campus at that time at CSUN that uh we would have been into it I mean that would have been our thing for sure
0: yeah (laughs) how much did you sell the cds for to the kids oh, oh i don't know they must have been like 10 bucks or something was it still 10 bucks? okay no disc yeah, I, I, I don't think it's changed that much right yeah. is everyone from berkeley is this uh was it all like uh, through the dorm is that how you guys met right well there's sort of like a very local
2: childhood connection within the band and then there's the sort of songwriting team which is from cal from from like college times mm-hmm. so i actually have known mike the drummer since i was zero our parents were friends yeah. yeah before we were born and then um we both met Aaron the bassist in junior high and then I you know I played with Mike on and off actually in various groups we actually had like a synth pop cover band when we were in high school playing like yeah. uh I mean like that group had no guitar had, had no nothing except like you know three or four keyboards in racks and like it was like pre-computer though so there's like a sequencer running but we were doing like craft like, work um, yeah yeah totally <laughs> yeah. like we would go like to a uh you know, a rally at school or like playing the quad at school and it'd be, you know, like OMD, Depeche Mode, um, Alphaville, you know, these, these sorts of things. Anyway. Yeah. But Mike was in that group too. And then um, it was really going to college and in some ways leaving behind serious piano playing and sort of wanting to be an instrumentalist and getting more into writing, just writing poetry and prose and stuff. And I'm an English lit major. And
0: uh, you were the moody guy in the
2: corner. Yeah. I mean, I was in the corner, but I mean, I spent some time in the corner, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, but we, but Sham and I hooked up living in the same boarding house and uh, he was a guitarist and I was, you know, wanting to write and, and getting more comfortable singing. And that core thing is, you know, exactly the same thing that led us to make this fourth record. You know, many, many years later. Yeah. So those are sort of the two tracks. One is like childhood friends. And then the other one is this writing partner who I found. And then the four of us are great, great friends and have been, uh, you know, during and after and again, uh, related to the band, but, you know, beyond music, we're kind of lifelong friends.
1: That's such a great story. That's a really, really nice story. <laughs> well, especially the moms being friends or the parents yeah,
0: being that, friends. Yeah, that's yeah. what Holly relates to. <laughs> <It's> the, <laughs> yeah. The, no, I mean, the kids are getting along. It's great. Oh my yeah. god.
1: Because yeah. I'm usually fades out, right? You know, the friendship between the kids, you know, fade out. You kind of go your separate ways. Right. All from uh, Berkeley.
2: Right. Yeah. So, so I grew up just a little bit north of Berkeley and um knew the first two guys I mentioned, Mike and Aaron from school and, and the community. And then Sean's actually from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So he came to Berkeley for school and that was where we found each other.
1: I, I think I read in the, in your bio or you got, you kind of went your separate ways. After the last album, you knew it was going to be your last album together.
2: Yeah. You kind I yeah.
1: had made that decision
2: yeah i mean well you know sean was moving on with his schooling and career and and the rest of us sort of were beginning to we're a little behind him but yeah and that and that was just sort of a natural ending you know and and we had this album going we had a bunch of songs going and we just sort of wanted to button it up and finish it that one was real quiet i think it's actually i mean if i do say so myself i think it's a pretty good record but also we you know we didn't like we played one show after that record and that was it and and actually it's crazy to me that we actually made a fourth album. Like that's actually, that was not the plan at all to make a fourth album. So yeah, I mean, I look back on that one fondly and then it makes me feel like, oh, I'm looking back on the band fondly. And then I suddenly remember we also made a fourth album. We have an ending that wasn't an ending or we have had two beginnings or I don't know how to think about that, but.
1: So hell hasn't frozen over for you yet.
2: That's right. My arms are full of spears and blades. My heart hides knives and plants for raids A strong enough God that I feel safe A strong enough Bill, that I can see your face
0: But was it just too much of um, like jumping in the van and, and uh, you know, you're, you're in your mid twenties now and it's, it's another, another grind and we got to get to, you know, we got to get to Phoenix by uh, in 15 hours and. Right,
2: right. Well, I suppose it's that, I mean, it's, it's also, I think, you know, we, we became sort of a functioning group, like you're describing a, a little cottage business sort of and, Yeah, I think I think in some ways we just thought, okay, well, we've 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 run our course and we we made some songs and and we moved on. And um, and then I spent some time between, you know, that time and now, you know, writing my own stuff and playing a few little gigs here and there. And but yeah, I I specifically felt like the the creative energy that I I get from this group and in particular working with Sean on on songs, that that's the thing that lives on and is a passion of mine. To this day is is the songs and we were very serious about the songs then but it also came with all of the the sort of striving and constant just sort of beating the drum to get the word out there and you know sell another hundred and you know get on another station and that kind of stuff and there is actually sort of a purity to just song making and and artifact making on this trip out too it sort of bled over into like video making and visuals and I mean, there's sort of freedom, I think, in the deconstruction of the way the music business works for people who are indie at this point, which is like, you kind of have to just reinvent it every couple of years is what I'm, I'm seeing. uh, And I think I'm about to learn, you know, I'll probably have to reinvent just to, just to make the next record. But there's also like freedom in that, that there's, it's less systematic. I think that was actually a thing, like when you're describing, like, you know, get to the next gig. (laughs) You know, yeah. um, it became really systematic, and I think we picture that, you know, that sort of '90s tour, that sort of pre—I think a pre and post grunge is—you know, both both had that like post-punk thing of like go out there and like you know bring your music to the to the people and do it yourself. And there is also a lot of structure actually to that, right? It was it was independent, but it was very structured actually. So now I'm feeling very unstructured.
1: It's a, well, the business itself is, is different now, I think, than, than back then, but also, you know, you're older and
2: wiser. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> yes. In spite of myself, it. I hope it's true.
1: <laughs> How did you come back together musically?
2: It was physical proximity in, in large part. I mean, I will say that, you know, there's sort of this fondness that's, you know, part nostalgia and part just personal connection that the band uh, has has consistently shared. There was actually a trip I took out to New York with my family. and We visited Sham. He was working in, in Manhattan then. We saw each other, you know, his four and my four and hung out a bit. And that was really nice. And then shortly thereafter, he came out here and said they were thinking about relocating to California. So they actually moved to Davis, which is probably 45 minutes north of here, I think around 2015. And so 2016-ish, we kind of actually settled into something of a writing pattern with each other. I mean like these things start they're like with anybody, right? It's like, "Oh, I've got half a song and you want to paddle it forward a little bit or you know, you've got a whole song, let's break it down and remake it, you know, together and those sorts of things." And and then it was the song American Canyon, which the album uh, is of the same title where we really quite suddenly like in one day it felt like we sort of hit this vein of of words and sound and, and energy that felt very authentic to us and also very different than anything we'd previously done. And so that was sort of a galvanizing. Let's rally around this one and bring up the level of everything else we have cooking and then also write right forward thematically kind of from there. But it, it came back together both organically and with discipline. I would say it was it was half and half. There is something there where we have chemistry, where where it's you know, he he sees things differently, I see things differently. And then the pop song format is so small but deceptively simple. You sort of come up with all these tricks to freight, you know, four minutes with a little bit more resonance or a little bit more oblique information or to try to get reactions out of the person who's listening and i think that's where he and i kind of shine is that, that we each do really different things to achieve that same fraud goal
0: talking with matt easton of the jenny thing we're going to take a break and we will be right back
1: Welcome back to the What Difference Does It Make podcast and our guest, Matt Easton of The Jenny Thing.
0: Where do you test out these tricks? What, uh, do you play it for your family? Because, I mean, you couldn't play it in 2020 that you couldn't take it out on the road. No, I, I mean, I, I think we just see what it what it does for us, honestly. But I'm very into the, like,
2: you know, being emotionally moved and you don't know why and then sort of chasing that down, which is actually probably more just like feeling mm. than work and like an album like this we're, we're we're trying to write about some broader stories without addressing them in the words or or in the music. So the way I'd say it is each song is about an emotional pivot that works as like a love letter or as a, a you know a manifesto or or sort of stands alone, but it plugs into pivot points in almost like a secret story that that I have that helps me build the emotion behind it and like connect it to myself. But I also think when you just leave pivots for other people to listen to or join into project onto, they do the work of connecting to it. So it's that kind of personal universal effect you try to get, you know,
1: you can't tell them how to feel. So it has to come. I mean, it has to be organic.
2: Yeah. It it has to be organic and authentic. And then it has to have enough like holes in the plot, enough space for them to, bring their stuff
0: to the plot. <laughs> so speaking of, of space, you got American Canyon. What is the idea behind the American Canyon?
2: Yeah. So American Canyon is a, is a real place up here in Northern California between where Sean and I live. So he drives oh. down through it to come here. Um, and that's not particularly meaningful to us, the place itself, but the name we thought was just fascinating. And actually while we were shooting the video for American Canyon, we found a place called California City, which is in the Mojave Desert. And yeah. it's not much. I mean, it's like <laughs> a couple horse ranches and, you know, a tumbleweed, but it's called California City. I think one thing I like about those is is you can almost imagine a like a cartoon world where a filmmaker might name something that we all know and love differently, right? So it might be the Grand Canyon and they rename it American Canyon. Or they might have LA and they call it California city. Mm-hmm. And, and so somehow it feels like this wonky take on reality based on reality, but but not real. So we were fascinated by that name and then named the song uh, American Canyon that the day of that we wrote it and then sort of chased that idea. But ultimately the, the album is about a place where there's a battle between the need to achieve to a, to sort of acquire your worthiness to get ahead, to like beat other people, to become all that you need to be and to strive. And then there's another dream in the American Canyon. That's about acceptance and you are already enough and you are worthy Mm -hmm. and you always were, and you always will be. And how these two things are in this sort of almost like this fight to the death, you know, behind the scenes Mm -hmm. or under the fabric of our lives. And the way I say it in a way that I think makes people go from maybe how you're feeling right now, which is, okay, that's a little weird, but how often are these things that we've shouted at our own children or had had shouted at us? Both, I love you, you're perfect, don't go changing, and also like, get it together, you're about to fall off the wagon. And how is it that we are so comfortable with those really hard and fast um, value systems towards ourselves and towards others? And I think there there's no like big riddle in it. It's it's really that we have to deal with both. And and that's just the way it is. American Canyon is about being defeated and being buried under rubble, and also about blasting out of the rubble and surviving. And so it has a lot of architectural imagery about towers and walls and bridges falling and rocks splintering and and all this stuff and then it also says that i'm i'm lifted up and and that even as you're being beaten down you're being lifted up can't hope another day i'll take grief's freedom
0: Some of the the writings on about the album, they've called it cinematic. Were there any movies that you watched that uh, were inspiring for, for you? You know, like, I don't know, it sounds like Badlands or, or something, you know, like s- some seventies type uh movies that yeah. they might've been watching.
2: Not any specific movies, but I think you're on the right track for like what was, was in the imagination. I, I mean, I think of David Lynch for a couple of reasons, Um, and not any specific movies, but I, I just think he's really comfortable bringing an element in and then like sort of baking it in and not explaining it or even like not articulating it. It's almost like it's just a, a totem, like a reference point for him happens to show up in the movie Mm -hmm. and you're, and you're like, I guess this guy needed this element to make this movie for us. And you can, you can either try to take all of it in or just take some of it in. And I, I think you know, in the end, you get a four-minute pop song, right? Mm -hmm. You listen to it, has a nice beat. You kind of go, oh, yeah, you know, things aren't going well for this guy, and I kind of relate to it, and like, oh, that was a weird phrase that just went by. That's intriguing. And then you hear a nice little guitar part, and then the song's over, right? I would say that there's a filmic background that we're, we're bringing in in terms of, like, character or element or force that's written in. There's um, there's one song that has spoken word, like a little script that I wrote, and that mainly Aaron, the bassist, carries. He has sort of the stentorian Shakespearean delivery, so mm-hmm. he plays the main character, and uh, and I play sort of like the the trickster helper character. That one's actually built as like a soundtrack, right? It's actually supposed to feel as though you're in the aftermath of a battle, and a, a, a little army of people is planning on how to get out. and and their dilemma.
0: Lieutenant, we have just landed
3: across the airfield. Faraday, thank God. We lost, we lost so many last night. So many, so fast. We'll lose all our light in a couple of hours. Sooner than that with all the dust and smoke.
2: Alive or dead, move as many as you can to the lights we'll be flying with the angels of the sky if we go hard we'll be within spitting distance of home in a day yeah definitely a cinematic approach to sound and also creation
0: you also created some some artwork i saw i watched the uh, the lyric video for lightfield and yeah. Uh, apparently there's your name <laughs> as, as the guy who created the, the art for this, uh, for this video, what is, are you formally trained or is this something that you've
2: I'm kind of 100% not formally trained? Yeah. I worked with an animator who did all of the motion, but I created the, the concept and the little flying car and, and, <laughs> and all of those elements. Um, and then I actually ended up doing the singles art for all of the singles for the album which is super different from the art that actually goes on the album itself. Yeah. So there's, there's the hand drawn world, the, the matte sort of primitive art. Mm -hmm. And then there's the album art, which I helped concept, but had like real people do beautiful photography and also really nice um, creature art. We have this sort of um, flying space sea urchin, who's like the nemesis <laughs> of the of the hero of the story, or you. Whenever whenever you switch between you know these ideas of of inherent worthiness and striving for worth, the sea urchin flips to the opposite side of the table and and sort of fights you. So it's it's this creature that will fight you no matter what you do, <laughs> and that appears on the album art. Then the third lane is the video uh, where this. Uh, for American Canyon and, uh, the director's Ramesh Nicholas Iyer. And he did this fantastic video, super beautiful. The record itself and the video, I think are just really for me, important, uh, story artifacts and kind of, they stand alone. They work together. It's really,
0: it's really going to be cool. Okay. So the, the new, the next single paper angel, you, I think you described it as uh, Mick Jagger meets lady Gaga. Please explain.
2: Sure, sure. Yeah, I, I think I say those things when I'm um, about the way that I am emoting when I'm singing. <laughs> and so, yeah, when I say that, I mean, like, with, you know, with with Mick Jagger, I think I'm just sort of going for a little more nose in the vocal, <laughs> you know, a little more snarl. And then, you know, Gaga uses the low part. I mean, you could say Gaga or you could say Bowie, you know, <laughs> sort of like if you if you just get comfortable with vibrato, and a lot of support in sort of these big open notes, as that you sort of stretch out to, you sort of time stretch. Those are those are the things I'm saying when I say, <laughs> uh, you know, McJagger and Gaga. I'm not really trying to ape them <laughs> specifically. Yeah.
0: I pulled up a couple YouTube videos of of you guys on Star Search. Now come on, what's what's happening? (laughs) Tell tell us. First of all, Ed McMahon introduces you, or he throws it to Martha Quinn, who throws it to you guys. And that right. (laughs) What is that? What was that like? Oh, it was great. I mean, you know,
2: it's it was a it was a strange time. Like I that was during the time that we were done with our second record. And humming and hawing about the third record, right, our our, our would-be last record. And um, it felt kind of random and off-brand to be turning yeah. to Star Search. But they, they sought us out. I mean, that, oh, that, really? that was the weird thing was they were so, I think, on this, like, Green Day Counting Crows thing, which you know at the time was sort of the, This
0: was 94.
2: Yeah, this was sort of the matrix uh, yeah. in Berkeley at the time, right? So they 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 roll into Berkeley, they go in and this this literally happened because the guy who worked at the store told me, but some producer from Star Search, like, you know, pulls up, double parks, walks into <laughs> Rasputin's records, which is, you know, sort of sort of like, I mean, we have an amoeba also, but it's sort of like Rasputin's is our amoeba, mm-hmm. amoeba is your amoeba, right? And Pops and Rasputins says, hey, what indie bands are big here? And they say, well, the Jenny thing is sold the most indie, you know, is is the biggest indie seller of the year here, which actually they hadn't told us. We went back and checked and it was true. So this guy, I I, don't remember what his name was, but anyway, this this guy then just calls me up and says, "I'm, I'm from Star Search. We want to get you guys on the show. And I think it was like an answering machine. It says, which one of my friends is this?
0: Right. Plus, yeah, 94, there's no cell phones. So he calls your
2: landline
0: on. Well, there, there
2: also was no star search. They actually had sort of died once already. Yeah, and, I did. And the Martha Quinn thing was sort of this like rejuvenation attempt. And, you know, and, and of course that whole sort of blender eventually bat out American Idol or something. Mm-hmm. Right? America's got talent or what, whatever it was that started the new era. This was almost like the last gasp of the old old era. But anyway, so, so we end up on there and, and we just kind of did it because it was big and we were sort of. Bored, and it was just like weird and entertaining. But we went, and it was very fun to meet Martha Quinn. And she and I actually had this sort of run-in. Actually, about like uh, you were talking about being moody in the corner earlier. <laughs> I think I must have been really moody and really in the corner that day. And she said something while we were getting like B-roll footage, something like "He's kidding, right, guys?" So something like that. And and I was, uh, and I'm usually in very good humor. I don't think I, I'm. Extraordinarily thin skin, but that day I sure was, and I really was like, I was pissed. It was, it, it was, it was like, how dare you? Like, you know, that's so '94. Just grunge, know.
0: just a grunge attitude.
2: No, I don't know. I don't. know Yeah, maybe. Are <laughs> you not it, sure you want to be on Star Search? <laughs> well, I think that that was there too, and and also we had had a lot of conversations about like, no, we would like to play live, and no, we want to do everything live. Their their whole thing was yeah. pre-record it, mm-hmm. and then they said, okay, well pre-record the instruments and you can sing live and then it was like no we're gonna do the whole thing live and we did but it was like through insistence
0: wow good for you
2: guys did so you're yeah feeling sort of like both like boy this isn't our place and we're having to stick to our guns but why you know anyway so she made this comment i was really irritated and we got back together and talked and she eventually we, we were hanging around disneyland and stuff so we had to go to her trailer and
0: well oh, that's uh, where I was wondering where Pleasure Island
2: was. I was, I was like, is yeah, that a? Is, That's an old part of Disney World that got taken away. Oh, okay. It was, like a, it was like adult Disney World. Like it See? had like had like six nightclubs and like this outdoor stage. It was actually strangely a little bit cool. It was it was sort of Vegasy. That's anyway, funny. so so uh, yeah. Anyway, but I wrote a song called Martha on the last album uh, about that. Did you sort um, of about you know over seriousness and. Uh, I think I just kind of stayed with the over seriousness theme on that, but it's called Martha. And it, it's actually one of our most, we've, we've gotten a lot of cure comments over the years. And we, um, especially when we were really guitar based, we, mm. we loved the cure. And that song really, you know, we, we definitely are like wearing our cure on our sleeve on that one.
0: And, and they got four and a half stars. Roger McGuinn was one of the judges, so that's kind of cool. Yeah. Yes, although, I, yes, yes, although yes. I saw you were in trouble in the second week because I saw that um, who it was Steve Allen was a judge, and like, oh, there's no way that they and, did well. And, in and so- you know what? I mean,
2: you you nailed it. The skinny slash body language slash some actual comments. Those two guys, respectively, really liked us and
0: really didn't like. <laughs> yeah. It was it was those guys. Yeah. Well, yeah. There's a lot. It was great to talk to you and and meet you. Yeah, nice uh, to meet you, Holly. Really
1: nice to meet you and listen to a whole lot of good music preparing for this. It was really fun. Thank you.
0: Yeah. Thank Thank you. you Take care, Matt. Thank you. Thanks. So that was cool talking with Matt Easton of the Jenny thing and learning all about what goes on with a band that has broken up and then comes back together again.
1: That was uh, great to hear the history of the Jenny thing and the road to reforming.
0: Holly and I watched the the video for their single
1: American Canyon?
0: Yes. American Canyon also the name of their album. I would suggest checking out the video. It's kind of it's very cool. How do you find us on YouTube?
1: It's very easy to find us. If you go to YouTube, you can find What Difference Does It Make podcast. We have our very own channel, and you'll find other behind-the-scenes little nuggets. So subscribe to our YouTube channel and uh, have some fun.
0: Wonderful. Another good episode, Holly. Congratulations.
1: Thank you, Dave, and congratulations to you, too.
0: Well, thank you very much. Okay, well, we'll do this again next week.
1: I'm looking forward to it.
0: Okay, so until then, this is Dave.
1: This is Holly. Check you later. Over and out.
3: It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football